Welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday the 19th of January 2023, here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles today are Moira Lowe, Richard Pugh, and Penny Welford. Our sound engineer is Alex Gwynn, and we are, as usual, ably supported by the admin team, led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our listeners, especially new ones. I do hope you enjoy this week's offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, birthdays, and thought for the week. Nowadays, obituaries are placed following the closing music, so if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather as CDs and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone, Worcester, that's 01905 767 766, or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please do use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. So we'll start off now by asking Moira to read the birthdays for the coming week. Okay, so birthdays are Brenda Doe, Dennis Page, and Patricia Williams, who we believe is 80, and Valerie Daniel. So very happy birthday to you all. Thank you, Moira. And now the thought for the week, we'll ask Penny to read that for us. The thought for the week comes from Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Thank you. Now some useful telephone numbers. You've already had the number for here, Colin Chance House. Police Non-Emergency, 101. NHS Direct, 111. Out of Hours Medical Assistance, 0300-123-3211. And that's available from 6 to 8 in the evening. Crime Stoppers, 
0800 treble 5 treble 1. Worcester Hub for Council Matters, Worcester 765 765. Council Help Facility, here to help, Worcester 768053 and you are to ask for option 3. The community team for fire safety, 0800-032-1155. Domestic abuse helpline, 0800-980-331. Worcester the Theatres, Worcester 6-11-427. And Malvern Theatres, 01684-892277. And Samaritans, 116-123. And that's a free phone number. Right, now we'll move on to the headline articles for the week ending today. And I'll ask... Richard, to start us off with last Friday, please. Yes, last Friday, the 13th of January, Friday the 13th, uh, we have the lovely headline, People Could Lose Lives. Uh, subheading of fears, as strikes mean lack of flood updates. With a picture of, uh, outside a well-known local restaurant, and with the swans swimming happily. This then refers to page three where there's uh, more photos of flooding and a picture of Mary Longdono uh, who has consulted regarding this article. <clears throat> the headline says, Lack of Info Risks Lives. A flood contain campaigner has said people could lose their lives due to the Environment Agency not giving flood updates because of industrial action. Stalwart city flood campaigner Mary Longdono said people could lose their cars, homes and in the worst case scenario their lives because the agency is not giving flood updates as the River Severn continues to rise. She said, who on earth allowed this to happen in a time of great need? They should revoke their decision not to not supply flood updates. At the moment, the Environment Agency is giving an automated response saying the river is due to peak in Worcester on Sunday. However, there aren't staff on hand to give current water levels and updates for residents. Residents are unable to find out when they should expect flood water to seep into their homes and how high the river levels will be in the coming days. Mrs Longdono, who became a flood campaigner after her Worcester home flooded 12 times in 12 years, added, I am disappointed on a national level. The lack of updates could be dangerous for people in rural areas. People could lose their cars and homes. People who are new to the area may not know that the river can get over people's heads. 
it could potentially, in the worst-case scenario, mean people lose their lives. The River Severn is flooding, and some levels are set to reach the highest ever in Shrewsbury. Mrs Longdono added, People can't get precise levels on the river, which could flood outside their house. People do not know when to move their cars or furniture, or when to put up their flood protection. Mrs Longdono said not knowing how much the levels are expected to rise can make a stressful situation even worse. She said, around the River Severn at the moment, people's homes are being flooded on an annual basis. It is stressful for people when they get filthy and stenchy river water in their homes. Having that extra level of information and knowing would make it less stressful. Residents who live near Diglis have raised their concerns about the lack of updates. Jane Hughes said it would be useful to have updates online. I stay informed by myself. But you, if you are not local, these things should be online to warn people. Finley Rustall often goes for walks around the river and said, I would prefer to know if any paths have been blocked beforehand. It would also be nice to know to what extent it has been flooded. The Environment Agency has been contacted for comment. And now Saturday and Sunday's edition, 14th and 15th of January. The headline is Objects Thrown at Armed Police, City Road Closed During Disturbance. Armed police with guns and riot shields confronted a man hurling objects out of a window during a foul-mouthed disturbance in a city street. Southfield Street in the Arboretum in Worcester had to be closed during the incident, with residents told to stay indoors, and others unable to return to their homes. A police cordon covered both ends of the street and East Street, as people were warned to stay indoors for their own protection. Various projectiles, including pieces of wood, furniture and bottles, were thrown from a house into the street, leaving the road littered with debris as more than 15 officers surrounded the property this morning. Many officers had full protective gear, on, including helmets, body armour, assault rifles and riot shields, while others manned the cordon to protect the public and preserve evidence. During the incident, a topless man could be seen leaning out of the window of the terraced house as objects and obscenities were hurled at officers. The shirtless man in the window made derogatory references to officers and animal sounds. He asked officers to storm the building and said, open the door and see what happens. And I know my rights. The sound of breaking glass could be heard and objects were thrown out of a window into the main street, including pieces of wood and furniture. One resident who did not wish to be identified 
said his daughter, 10, had been a little scared and had not seen anything horrible like this before. She was a little bit scared this morning. She is now at school. It all started really early in the morning when everything was being thrown into the street, he said. Unable to return to his home near the disturbance, he said his wife tried to leave but was told to remain indoors by officers. He said the windows of a white car were broken with a bottle. A man was led away in handcuffs. Fire officers and an ambulance attended the scene. And then there's an addition to this article. Two men have been arrested following a disturbance in Southfield Street, Arboretum, at around 5.40am. The two men, aged 44 and 35, have been arrested for a fray and criminal damage in connection with the incident. Chief Inspector David Troth said, I'd like to thank members of the public for their cooperation and understanding while we dealt with this incident. The incident was isolated and we do not believe there was a wider risk to the public. And two men have now been arrested. The front page of the edition for Monday the 16th of January carries the headline in massive capital letters, UNSAFE. NHS boss fears, fears facing manslaughter charges after being left in the dark over decision to send more ambulances to overcrowded A&E during critical incident. Hospital boss fearing prison over A&E chaos. The head of the county's hospitals fears he could be facing prison for manslaughter charges if NHS bosses leave him in the dark again over dangerously directing more ambulances to an already overcrowded A&E. Matthew Hopkins, chief executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, hit out at West Midlands health bosses for failing to keep him in the loop over an unsafe decision to send more ambulances to the overcrowded Worcestershire Royal Hospital during a strike. The move angered Mr Hopkins, who said he would be the one behind bars if the worst did happen to a patient because of the slip-up. The crisis at Worcestershire Royal Hospital reached disturbing levels on December the 20th last year, during the second nurses' strike, when the city's crammed A&E was more than three times over capacity, with 176 people packed into a building only built for 50 people. Matters were made worse by the decision by higher-up NHS bosses to divert 18 ambulances to Worcestershire Royal Hospital without telling the chief executive of the hospital. <clears throat> A critical incident was also declared at the hospital because of days of sustained and extreme pressure. The frustrated chief criticised the lack of communication between the region's NHS bosses and said that he and those others accountable at Worcestershire Royal Hospital would end up in prison if there was a manslaughter charge because of knowingly bringing patients into an already overcrowded hospital. It was and is a very unsafe environment, he told the Acute Trust Board at a meeting on January the 12th. 
Mr Hopkins apologised for the mess during the nurses' strike and ahead of the day's next ambulance strike and said he was unable to prevent it from happening because he was not told until the patients had already arrived. I wasn't able to stop it because I wasn't aware that it was going to happen, he said. I only found out when I was informed that it had happened. There were no reported incidents on the day, according to the Trust, but Mr Hopkins admitted that it was more luck than anything else. Every possible ward at the city's hospital was desperately being used to find space for patients and crammed corridors had already been pushed to the extreme, according to the Trust's chief executive. This isn't sustainable. This isn't a sustainable way of running acute hospitals and the NHS, and something has to change, he added. Okay, my headline is from Tuesday, January the 17th. Care boss car ban over quick chemist's errands. A care home manager tried to escape a driving ban for speeding after claims she was rushing to get urgent prescriptions to her patients. Sandra Gallamkari of Kemsey near Worcester failed to argue exceptional hardship as magistrates gave her a driving ban. The manager of the first rest home in St John's previously admitted the offence of speeding on the A44 New Road, Worcester. Taking the witness box, Gallamkari said the reason for speeding was she had been rushing to get an urgent prescription for one of her residents. I was collecting it as quickly as I could, Gallamkari said. I'm a proprietor and the manager of First Rest Home. I'm on call 24-7. I have been for 40 years. I have several points for doing this on my licence so I can make sure my patients get prescriptions quickly. The court heard she had travelled at 35 miles per hour in a 30 mile per hour zone near Worcestershire Cricket Club Ground. The 73-year-old appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court on Friday. At the start of the hearing, Gallum Kari said she had six points on her licence, expecting three points to be added for the offence. But the court clerk explained at the time of her latest offence, on April the 2nd last year, she had ten points on her licence, meaning she was now a totter, as the three meant she was over 12 points. Gallum Kari was told her exceptional hardship reasons must not be merely an inconvenience or hardship, but exceptional hardship for which the court must have evidence. Gallamkari added she was sorry, but was doing it because she was concerned if the pharmacy closed before she got there, residents wouldn't get drugs like antibiotics before the next day. The manager added if banned, she would have to take taxes to the pharmacy, making it difficult. But when asked further if there were others who could do her job, she conceded her deputy manager did fill her for her during holidays each year. After lengthy deliberations, Chairman of the Magistrate, Simon Edgerton, announced we do not find exceptional hardship. He explained Gallamkari would be given the three points and give her a six-month ban. Gallamkari was also fined £124 and ordered to pay £110 costs and 34 victim surcharge. She was given 28 days to pay the total £268 in full. From Wednesday, January 18, the headline says Parking Fees Poised for Rise, with the subheading of Council Looks at First Increase 
for 14 years to fill budget hole. The main article on page 3 says council sets to raise its car parking fees. The city's car parking charges are set to rise for the first time in 14 years as the council battles to fill a hole in its budget. Worcester City Council has revealed it wants to up the fees at dozens of its car parks to bring in more money to balance its budget. It will be the first increase since 2009. Last year, the City Council had to refund 1,500 drivers who were needlessly charged several times for parking in Worcester because of severe problems over card payments. Now, drivers will face charges increasing by up to 25% or 60p for parking two hours at the city's busiest car parks. A report, which will be discussed by the Environment Committee on January the 24th, said that the price of a two-hour stay at the council's three red zone car parks in Copenhagen Street, Corn Market and Providence Street should change from £2.40 to £3. At the six Amber Zone car parks, Cattle Market, King Street, Newport Street, uh, uh, St Martin's Gate, Clare Street and Commandery Road, parking up to two hours would rise from £1.80 to £2. In the Green Zone car parks, Pitchcroft, The Moors, Tallow Hill, Tybridge Street and Croft Road, the two-hour parking fee would move from £1.20 to £1.50. Parking for 24 hours at St Martin's Gate multi-storey car park would cost £4, compared to the current £3 at 60 Half-hour charges would be scrapped, and £1 fees for parking between 7pm and 9pm would also be ditched for hourly rates. The price of parking in council-owned car parks has not moved since 2009, despite rising costs and inflation, and free parking has been offered during the run-up to Christmas for several years. Council bosses say that the price of running its 14 car parks has risen by almost 8% since 2021, and the money it brings in from charges, which is the council's single biggest source of income and generates about around three million pounds a year this needs to rise so that it quote at least keeps pace with costs close quotes the council said it needs the money to continue to be able to fund essential services such as bin collections street cleaning and housing support and that even with a rise the price of using its car parks would still be cheaper than privately run car parks, and similarly sized cities such as Cheltenham and Exeter. Councillor Karen Lewing, Vice Chair of the Environment Committee, said the council needed to look at ways of balancing its books in the face of increased costs. Car parking charges are a very significant source of income for the council, 
and they have not increased in 14 years, during which time we have seen big rises in bus and train fares, she said. These small increases will also simplify the charging structure. We will ensure the City Council's car parks continue to be competitively priced and, where possible, still cheaper than private car parks within Worcester and those in comparable towns and cities. The increased charges would raise around £350,000 extra for the Council's coffers and it would cost the Council upwards of £16,000 to replace signs across its car parks with the new tariffs. <laughs> And now from today, Thursday, January the 19th, the headline is Cut in Hours to Save Money. The subheading is Leisure Centres Reduce Opening Times Amid Energy Crisis. And there is a small picture of one of the city's leisure centres, that at Purdiswell. The city's struggling leisure centres will open fewer hours to save on energy bills, it's been revealed. Worcester City Council is planning to slash opening times at Nunnery Wood Sports Complex and St John's Sports Centre, as well as close Purdiswell Leisure Centre earlier as a way of cutting costs. Prices at the three leisure centres are also set to rise by an average of almost 9% to boost funds. Freedom Leisure has warned that its bills are set to soar by £585,000 and the council is set to hand it £315,000 to help protect the leisure centres across the next 12 months. The County Council's Communities Committee will also discuss plans to set aside up to £550,000 to pay for energy-saving measures at a meeting at Jan on January the 25th. Opening hours at Nunnery Wood Sports Centre and St John's Sports Centre would be cut to 3pm to 10pm between Monday and Thursday, 3pm to 9pm on Fridays and 8am to 1pm on weekends. Purdiswell Leisure Centre would close an hour earlier on weekdays from 6am to 9pm. A review of the Council's contract with Freedom Leisure found that while demand for swimming lessons in Worcester has soared, health and fitness, which is where most of the money is made, has failed to recover and remains well below pre-pandemic levels. The review suggested looking at reducing opening times at Purdiswell Leisure Centre and Nunnery Wood Sports Centre and even closing St John's Sports Centre completely as a way of saving money. However, council bosses decided against closing the centre and instead pushed reduced hours which would save around £40,000 a year. In September last year, councillors agreed to hand £255,000 to Freedom Leisure 
to cover some of its energy bills as costs continue to soar and ahead of the leisure centre provider negotiating new gas and electric contracts before the end of the year. Around the same time, the Council also rejected a call by Freedom Leisure for an in-year fees increase, but agreed to look at upping fees and charges this year to try and cover some of the cost of rising bills. Freedom Leisure said it has already lowered pool temperatures, turned off air conditioning for large parts of the day, cut classes with low turnout and upgraded lighting and insulation in a bid to save money and cut the cost of its bills. Throughout last year, the leisure centre provider has also looked into other ways it can continue to cut energy consumption, including improvements to lighting, heat and pool pumps, air handling units and installing solar panels, which, if approved by the Council, would cost at least £550,000 to install. And now for a sports item, Richard. Some good news for a change. On uh, Tuesday, January the 17th, under the headline, Called Up, we have a fantastic picture of uh, Finn Smith, former Warriors player, is in the England squad. A former Worcester Warriors player has been awarded his first senior call-up to the England squad. Northampton's rookie fly-half, Finn Smith, is present for the first time in the squad, providing cover for Owen Farrell and Marcus Smith. Northampton Saints confirmed the homegrown Worcester talent had signed for the club on a multi-year deal in October 2022. The talented outside half became the youngest ever player to start for Warriors in the Galahad Premiership in March 2021, when he lined up against Bath at the age of just 18 years and 313 days. He made 31 senior appearances for Worcester and his form at Six Ways earned him a selection for England under-20s for the 2021 Six Nations in Cardiff. Smith was influential in the Red Roses' Grand Slam winning campaign, scoring 31 points in five matches, including a try against Scotland. Speaking of the inclusion of young talent in the squad, new boss Steve Borthwick said, This is an exciting squad with a blend of Six Nations experience and young talent and includes players who are in excellent form in the Premiership. We are all looking forward to the challenges of the Six Nations and we will approach this great tournament with a spirit of courage and total commitment. I know the players can't wait to get back to Twickenham and give our fans a performance they can be proud of. The hard work for the Scotland game starts now. Smith was signed amid the ongoing issues surrounding Worcester Warriors, which went into administration in September 2022. Speaking of the issues surrounding Worcester Warriors, Smith said, The recent uncertainty has obviously been incredibly difficult for everyone at Worcester, and I will miss the players, coaches and supporters there. The last couple of months have shown what a special club it is. 
Having grown up at Six Ways, Warriors will always have a special place in my heart, but I know this is the right move for me at this stage of my career, and I am looking forward to hopefully hitting the ground running in Northampton. In the latest squad, Borthwick also controversially dropped veterans Billy Vunipola, Johnny May and Jack Knoll. And now to the general articles for the week. Penny, would you like to start us off, please? The first article I have is from Wednesday, January the 18th. Unions' anger at law. Angry trade unions have hit back at the new proposed strike law, which they argue attacks the working people. Worcester Trades Union Council said the government is restricting the right to strike and the proposed law should ring alarm bells in everyone's ears. The controversial anti-strike legislation cleared its first hurdle as the strikes bracket minimum service levels close bracket bill was considered in the House of Commons on Monday evening, January the 16th. However, Worcester's MP Robin Walker defended the proposed legislation saying it does not restrict the right to strike but does set minimum service levels which have to be in place. The proposed legislation will require union members from key services to continue working to retain a minimum level of service during set strike days. A spokesperson for the Worcester's Worcester Trades Union Council said in response to the government's intent to restrict the right to strike Worcester Trades Union Council as part of a national TUC campaign will be organising activities to draw public attention to the threat to workers rights. The right to withdraw one's labour in order to defend jobs, pay and conditions is a fundamental human right. This latest attack by the government on working people should sound alarm bells for us all. The sectors affected if the law is passed would be health, education, fire and rescue and transport services. The government said the proposed legislation aims to prevent public lives from being put at risk. If employees are not compliant with the new legislation, they may risk losing their jobs if they do not work when required. MP Robin Walker said, The proposed legislation does not restrict the right to strike, but it does set minimum service levels which have to be in place when strike action affects essential public services. This is not an unreasonable requirement as it, and is in place in many other countries. I would always urge both government and the unions to engage as much as possible in order to avoid strikes and during my time as a minister I kept up a useful and constructive dialogue with trades unions. However, the public expects the government to protect essential public services and I think it is right that we do so. Okay, my story. Um, teenager's mother calls for online action. The mother of a bullied teenager who killed himself after abuse by online trolls has called for stricter regulation of social media. Lucy Alexander, the mother of Felix Alexander, was interviewed about the scope of the online safety bill on BBC Breakfast on Tuesday. 
The sixth form student was pronounced dead after being hit by a train at Abbotswood Junction, Norton, near his home in Worcester on April 27, 2016. The 17-year-old's funeral at St Stephen's Church that May was standing room only, and senior Worcestershire coroner Grant Williams recorded a verdict of suicide during an inquest into Felix's death. Mrs Alexander said the former King's School, Worcester and Pershaw High School pupil received abuse every day. She has campaigned to prevent other families from suffering the same heartbreak as hers. Speaking to the BBC, she said, he was told constantly how worthless he was, how ugly he was, how he should kill himself, how he should hang himself and how he should video it. It wasn't the same person every day, but it was somebody every day saying something. And because of the nature of social media, it just became all-encompassing and that became his life and it just depleted him. Ms Alexander wants stricter control on social media better education for young people, more responsibility taken by the companies and is concerned the online safety bill does not go far enough. She said, we have to be a little bit broader in the people we are protecting because it's not just the under 16 year olds or the under 18 year olds. Anyone under 25 is still very vulnerable and very vulnerable to this kind of abuse. In an open letter, Miss Alexander said in April last year her son Felix killed himself at the age of 17 as he could no longer see a way to be happy. But she wants his legacy to be one that helps promote a kinder society. Felix's mum has gone on to become a prominent anti-bullying campaigner after highlighting the online abuse Felix suffered in the run-up to his death. Miss Alexander became an ambassador for the Place to Be charity which led to her meeting Prince William for his anti-cyberbullying campaign work, giving talks in schools to pupils across Worcestershire and the country, and supporting ITV's This Morning's Be Kind campaign. In the letter she wrote, His unhappiness stemmed from years of unkind behaviour, both in person and online, and I felt compelled to try to give him the voice that he did not feel he had. I wanted to try to help people, particularly young people, connect the dots of their online actions to the very real life consequences. Their thoughtless words may very well be someone else's last straw. A spokesperson for, for Place to Be said, social media can be a useful platform for young people to connect, learn new information and share opinions. However, it can also be a place where young people can be upset or hurt by content or be at risk of serious harm. Young people can be vulnerable to viewing or being exposed to dangerous or disturbing content. Sadly, this can lead to thoughts of self-harm or suicide. It is crucial that the online world is safe for children and young people and we are supportive of the online safety bill currently passing through Parliament and the moves to further safeguard children online. Now, at the risk of getting some ad-libs from my colleagues, my, my article comes from Friday, January the 13th, and the headline is Panto, Support for Dementia Nurses, with a lovely picture of the cast uh, from Alice in Wonderland. Uh, Worcester's case Panto returns to the Swan Theatre next week. Oh, no, it did Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> with Alice in Wonderland, with their chosen charity being the Dementia Care Admiral Nurse Service. 
Opening on Thursday, January the 19th, uh, for 14 performances until Sunday, January the 29th, it will be Kay's 68th production, specially adapted for them by Anthony Stewart Higgs from the original by Lewis Carroll. The panto is set to have everyone's favourites, including Alice, the Mad Hatter, the White Rabbit, the Queen of Hearts and a Bake Off tent. When debut director Rebecca Bott was asked which charity she would like to dedicate to receive proceeds from Alice in Wonderland, she had no hesitation in nominating the Hereford and Worcester Health and Care NHS Trust Admiral Nurse Service. Rebecca first appeared in a Kay's Panto as a junior dancer and became Goldilocks in Kay's 2007 production, followed by Maid Marian in Babes in the Wood. A few years later, she went on to appear in Sir Wayne Sleep's ballet adaptation of Alice in London and on Blue Peter. Fast forward to 2019, she then had a vision for Alice in Wonderland, the pantomime. And thanks to Kay's Theatre Group Committee, the dream has now become a reality for Rebecca. When my grandfather was poorly and the family coping with his increasing dementia, the local admiral nurses were so supportive of our family and Grampy giving personal care and compassion in the home, she, she explained. I can't thank them enough. Admiral nurses are registered nurses who specialise in dementia, giving practical and emotional support to care, family carers alongside the person with dementia. They offer a support to families throughout their experience of dementia using interventions tailored to each family's individual needs. They provide families with the knowledge to understand the condition and its effects, the skills and tools to improve communication and offer emotional and psychological support to help family carers to sustain their caring role. They manage complex cases and also provide specialist support and advice to other professionals. Admiral nurses are supported professionally by the charity Dementia UK, who work in partnership with Herefordshire and Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust. Kay's Theatre Group continue to promote performing arts with their bursary scheme. Further details and applications can be found at http kaystheatregroup.co.uk oblique Kay's Theatre Group oblique our supported charities. Tickets priced only £13.50 for Alice in Wonderland are now available from Worcester Theatre's box office at Huntingdon Hall. Online at www.worcestertheatres.co.uk or by phone 01905 And now an article that is very close to home. Mayor on the air for talking paper. And here's the biggest clue of all. There's a picture of our current Worcester Mayor, Councillor Adrian Gregson, sitting at this very table, taking part in one of our talking newspaper sessions. 
Worcester Talking Newspaper for the Visually Impaired hosted a surprise celebrity reader for last week's issue. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Adrian Gregson, took to the microphone in the newspaper's city centre recording studio along with editor Kate Hudman and her team of announcers. They read out the weekly local news for the benefit of Worcester's blind and partially sighted residents. After a tour of the facility, Councillor Gregson was escorted to the studio where he recorded for listeners a description of his role as mayor and then joined the team in reading three news articles by the Worcester News. It covered stories from January the 6th to the 12th of this year. Editor for the week, Kate Hudman, said, It was a very real privilege having the mayor on my team. We're very grateful to him for taking the time to help us. Worcester Talking newspaper is recorded and copied onto USB memory sticks every week and delivered free of charge to more than 100 listeners in the Worcester area. In addition to the weekly news, the charity also records a bi-monthly magazine programme featuring general interest articles, stories and puzzles, drama recordings and specially recorded interviews with visiting celebrities. They also keep an impressive range of talking books, all of which are free for registered listeners to borrow. Councillor Gregson said after the recording session, it was a pleasure to be involved and it was great to see what goes on behind the scenes. If you know someone who might benefit from the free service or would like to volunteer, call Worcester 767766 or email admin at com. The next article is from Wednesday's edition, January the 18th. Blackmailer gets 18 months in jail. A heartless man who blackmailed a vulnerable victim for money is now behind bars. Jamie Lyons of HMP Hewell, but previously of Ombersley Road, Worcester, stood in the dock with his arms behind his back as a judge told him he was a thoroughly dishonest man. The 30-year-old had previously admitted blackmail, appearing at Worcester Crown Court on Tuesday, January the 17th, for sentencing. Peter McCartney, prosecuting, said Lyons and the victim met on a dating website before she agreed to pay for a taxi for Lyons to come to her home on July 13th, 2021. The victim agreed Lyons could take her bank card, withdrawing £100. And a day later, Lyons made further requests for money for a total of £80, which the victim agreed to pay. The prosecutor said they were loans. The victim expected repayment. On July the 14th, Lyons demanded a further £80. The victim then later made a request for all the money to be paid back. But Lyons said he owed her nothing and instead claimed she owed him cash. The prosecutor said Lyons committed the blackmail by saying she either paid him the money or he would reveal things about her online, adding, you will be in trouble. 
The court heard the victim's personal statement in which she said, Jamie, you made me feel scared. I don't think I can ever forgive you for what you did to me. The court heard the victim's health and confidence had been impacted and she was shaken by the crime. Mr McCartney added, Lyons had 30 previous convictions, including offences of robbery, burglary, fraud, possession of a knife and possession of Class A drugs. Nicholas Berry, defending, said, The blackmail wasn't a campaign lasting months, but instead Lyons committed the offences over a matter of days. The barrister argued the amounts were small compared to other blackmail cases. Mr Berry said the dad of one was already in custody and had shown progress in completing various courses and detoxing. Mr Berry added, this, um, this is a man not wasting his time in custody. Sentencing lines Judge Nichols, Nicholas Cole said, You are a thoroughly dishonest man. You took advantage. You saw the opportunity of what you thought was easy money. The Court of Appeal sees blackmail as one of the nasty and most vicious offences. He jailed Lyons for 18 months. Lyons was given a restraining order preventing him from contact with the victim. The judge warned Lyons if he was foolish enough to breach it, he could expect a further five years in jail. OK, youngsters help out environment. Young people across the UK have been given an exciting opportunity to win funding to help tackle climate change as part of a groundbreaking initiative from the Woodland Trust. The Youth Innovation Competition offers young people the chance to secure part of a £20,000 prize to support their own environmental projects. The competition comes against the backdrop of an alarming Met Office announcement that 2022 was the warmest year in the UK on record highlighting the desperate need for climate change action. Nine individuals or small groups aged between 16 to 25 will win up to £5,000 project funding each, along with mentorship from leading industry experts to deliver projects which directly fight the climate crises. The projects will need to fit into three categories, inspire, protect and create. This could include anything from tree planting projects and championing ancient trees to innovative ideas that aid farming and the protection of UK rivers and wildlife. Woodland Trust Chief Executive Dr Darren Moorcroft said, Young people can often feel very anxious and helpless about climate change but want the opportunity to make a difference. We know trees are one of our best defences against the climate crisis and getting more trees in the ground is vital if we are to see a positive future for people and wildlife. As the UK's largest woodland conservation charity who has been planting and protecting trees and woods for more than 50 years, we are perfectly placed to provide this opportunity. The next generation will inherit the impacts of climate change, so it is crucial they are given the chance to bring their energy and innovation to the fight in tackling it now. The top 18 applications will be invited to take part in workshops that will teach them how to professionally pitch their project idea, and the finalists will go on to present their environmental innovations to a panel of celebrity judges and experts. 
Grace Howarth, head of Youth Reimagined at the Woodland Trust, said, We need more young people to become advocates for woods and trees, and we're excited to be able to open this opportunity to help fund important projects which will directly address the climate and nature crisis. You don't have to be from an experienced environmental or conservation background or have academic qualifications to enter, as we are looking for people from all backgrounds and walks of life to enter with a great idea that can impact woods, wildlife and people. Applications are now open and will close on February the 7th at 4pm. For more information on how to apply, please visit www.woodlandtrust.org.uk or email youth at woodlandtrust.org.uk. From Monday, January the 16th, we have the headline Village Lifeline Extended. A village is celebrating after a Lifeline community shop and post office has been given the green light to stay open for at least another five years. Lower Broadheath Community Shop opened in a cabin in the garden of the Bell Inn pub in 2019 following a fundraising campaign by residents following the the closure of the village's shop and post office three years earlier. Planners at Morven Hills District Council have agreed to extend the five-year temporary permission for the shop and post office in Martley Road until 2028 as villagers and fundraisers continue the search for a permanent spot. Almost 80 messages of support were sent to Morven Hills District Council by villagers praising the shop and post office and calling for it to stay put. Plans to find a permanent building for the community shop and post office were hit by the COVID-19 pandemic throughout 2020 and 2021 and the chance to raise money to fund the big move was also cut short. In a message of support to the council, Helen Walker of Crown East Lane in Lower Broadheath said, I have volunteered at the shop since its inception and have seen its value to the community grow both socially and economically. The shop proved a lifeline to the elderly and infirm during the COVID crisis and has definitely fostered an improved sense of community. The shop also works hard to support local businesses and stocks a wide range of products. The post office is a great asset to the village, particularly as it provides some banking services vital now that banks have closed in St John's and bus services are so poor. Angela Carver of the village's Bell Lane said, I am very much in favour of keeping the community shop open in Lower Broadheath as it is such an asset for residents not able to get to larger stores. It is very well stocked and reasonably priced. Also, the post office side is a big bonus as most towns have closed theirs down. A big plus is its friendly atmosphere. May it continue for a very long time. Now an article from Saturday, January the 14th, which begins with, in quotation marks, no dignity left amid 24-hour hospital wait. A daughter has slammed the government 
following a 24-hour wait to get care for her mother at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Councillor Mel Alcott had to call an ambulance for Vivian Alcott at the end of November. She criticised the government for allowing the NHS to reach this stage. Councillor Alcott, Liberal Democrat Worcester City Councillor for Claines Ward, said, I want to take this opportunity to say a tremendous thank you to all ambulance and NH staff. I also want to take this opportunity to say to the government, how dare you let the NHS come to this? The ordeal started with a wait for an ambulance. She said, after roughly a four hour wait, the ambulance crew arrived which I was relieved to hear, bearing in mind the pressures having been reported on ambulance wait times. After a thorough assessment, we arrived at Worcestershire Royal Hospital's A&E to be met by a very large queue of ambulances. I spent a total of 12 hours in two different ambulances outside A&E with my mum. The wait was so long that the first cruise shift ended, so we had to be handed over to a second crew. She continued, Moving ambulances in the middle of the night was an unsettling experience, to say the least. Both crews were amazing and are a real credit to their profession. The next 11 hours were spent in a corridor in A&E, ending up next to the entrance and exit of the resuscitation department. At one point, all patients and relatives were required to face away from the ambulance route to resuscitation while a patient was brought through in need of more privacy. I clearly remember one staff member saying there is no dignity anymore. After 23 hours in a stressful situation, I left my mum in an A&E corridor outside resuscitation with no idea when or if she would be moved. To add insult to injury, it took one hour to exit the hospital car park. Paul Brennan, Deputy Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said, Demand on our hospital services remains very high, with our staff facing unprecedented numbers of patients seeking urgent and emergency care. We continue to work closely with West Midlands Ambulance Service colleagues, GPs, community nurses and social workers to explore all possible ways of safely reducing waiting times and we thank them for their continued focus. Despite our best efforts, the current level of demand on our emergency departments means some patients are waiting for longer than we would like and we would like to apologise to them for that. This article comes from Saturday's edition. Um, the headline is Making Way for Campus, and the article is accompanied by um, an artist's impression of a proposed cricket centre at the University of Worcester's Severn Campus in Hilton Road. 
a former hair salon and stonemasons are set to be demolished as part of expansion work by the city's university. The stonemasons of Worcester and one-time hairdresser's Sam Roberts' hair design in Hilton Road will be flattened to make way for the University of Worcester's growing Severn campus. The work will be carried out as part of plans to create a health and well-being and inclusive sports centre to accompany the university arena. It will create new walking and cycling routes and green spaces throughout the campus, as well as cycle storage for almost 300 bikes and 300 car parking spaces, including 100 electric car charging points. A planning application has been submitted by the University of Worcester because the buildings sit within the city's protected Riverside Conservation Area. A statement included with the application said, The buildings subject of this application for demolition do not contribute positively to the conservation area. They are functional in appearance and of a smaller scale and out of keeping with the other buildings, including the university's other buildings within its seven campus that form the Hilton Road frontage to the riverside. The site within which the buildings sit has recently been acquired by the university to form part of its wider and expanding seven campus, enabling these sites to contribute more positively to the surrounding area through its redevelopment. The stonemasons of Worcester has moved to New Street, while San Robert's hair design is now in Lawn Road, St John's. The university is redeveloping its seven campus ahead of huge plans to build an international cricket centre on the site. The widest campus work, wider campus work and the plan for the new cricket centre were both approved by Worcester City Council's planning committee in January last year. Further work, which also includes the university's ongoing transformation of the former Worcester News offices at Barrows House into a medical school for nurses, midwives and other health professionals, will see a new dedicated cycle route through the campus connecting St John's and Sabrina Bridge via Henwick Road and Hilton Road. The university has been working for several years with England Disability Cricket, the Worcestershire Cricket Board and County Cricket Club and the England and Wales Cricket Board to create the world's first inclusive critic cricket education centre. A children's hospice nurse is preparing to trek across the Sahara Desert. Nurse Lisa Taylor is part of Team Acorns who are gearing up to take on the daring challenge to help raise money for the charity. Lisa, who works for Acorns Children's Hospice in Worcester, has personal experience of the work the charity does. She said, having had a family member who has previously used Acorns, I've seen firsthand how vital the work we do here at Acorns is and what a unique and special place it is. Knowing that the majority of the funds we need comes from our amazing supporters in the community, I felt I needed to do my part to raise as much money as possible for Acorns. She added, this is not something you get to do every day. So I'm looking forward to the whole experience and the challenge of it. Sleeping out under the stars, taking in the amazing scenery and learning more about the culture from the wonderful guides. But I think what I'm really looking forward to the most is the community project. We're so lucky to have care services like Acorns in this country, but others aren't so lucky. 
So it'll be a privilege to be able to give back and do some project work that will serve the local community. The hike will take place later this year and it's not too late to sign up to take part. However, the deadline for registering closes this Saturday, January the 14th. So unfortunately, this was actually on January the 14th. Lisa said, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do something amazing and support local children and families, so please don't miss out. You'll enjoy an unforgettable experience and the money you raise really will make such a difference. Acorns matter so much to me, please make it matter to you. The Acorn Sahara Trek starts on October the 14th. Those taking on the challenge will spend five days hiking over the Moroccan sands and camping in the desert. In the final two days of the experience, the group will be supporting a local charity caring for vulnerable people who require care outside of a hospital setting in the community. To take part, a minimum sponsorship of £2,300 must be raised, part of which will be used to cover the costs of the trip. For more information, visit www.acorns.org.uk forward slash Sahara 2023. From Thursday, January the 19th, we have a lovely headline which says, Thanks for Heroes. An Evesham man has thanked Birmingham Airport staff who saved his life after he swallowed his tongue following a seizure. Company director Rob Wilcox collapsed just moments after getting off his flight back home from Dusseldorf in Germany. Luckily, airport staff rushed to the rescue and were able to clear his airway and put him in the recovery position as they awaited the arrival of paramedics. The last thing I remember was waiting for a taxi. Then everything went pitch black, said Mr Wilcox. Rob Wilcox, a business traveller, has thanked Birmingham Airport staff who saved his life when he suffered a seizure and swallowed his tongue moments after getting off a flight back from, back home from Dusseldorf. The father of three had been flagging down a taxi when the seizure began. His colleague, Matt Cross, screamed for help and soon Tom Barnett, sorry, beg your pardon, Tom Barrett and Nick Price, both BHX customer experience ambassadors, arrived at the scene. They found Mr Wilcox unresponsive, lying on his back, struggling to breathe, having swallowed his tongue. The first day, Duo cleared his airway and applied a defibrillator to Mr Wilcox's chest, but the machine advised them not to administer a charge as it detected he still had a faint pulse. Nick and Tom put Mr Wilcox in the recovery position, staying with him until paramedics arrived. I'm so grateful to Nick and Tom, Mr Wilcox added. Had it not been for their swift action, I would not be here today. These two are heroes. Mr Wilcox spent two days in hospital where he recovered and returned to Birmingham Airport with his wife Sharon on January the 6th to thank Tom and Nick in person. Mr Wilcox said Rob and I were sitting with all the family on Christmas Day around the table feeling so lucky that Tom and Nick were there at that critical moment. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Mr Barrett added... This is part of our job, making sure our customers have what they need, whether it's direction to departures or, in this case, life-saving support. 
We're just glad we could help. Mr Wilcox is now awaiting the results of tests as medics try to establish what caused the seizure, which happened on October the 12th. Now quite a rare and quite sad occurrence. Dead owl found on busy city road. A dead owl has been spotted on a busy city centre road. Anyone travelling down the tithing on Thursday might have seen something unusual on the road. A dead, tawny owl. Worcestershire Wildlife Trust's communication officer, Wendy Carter, said the sight is not as strange as it may first appear. It looks like a tawny owl. Whilst it seems unusual to find one on the tithing, there are a lot of trees and green spaces in the wider area, so there will be owls around, she said. Tawny owls are early breeders. The first eggs are usually laid in February, and so they defend their territories right through winter. Speculating on what may have caused the bird's demise, she said, it might be that the one on the tithing was an interloper that was being chased from a territory or it may have been a resident tawny owl that met with an accident either hit by a car or, if it had been spooked by something, flying into a window or overhead telegraph wire. Whilst it is likely that the the bird died accidentally due to the prevalence of bird flu in the UK at the moment, DEFRA is requesting that all dead birds are reported via www.gov.uk forward slash guidance forward slash removing hyphen and hyphen disposing hyphen of hyphen dead hyphen wild hyphen birds. Anyone finding a dead bird should be particularly mindful of good hygiene practice and government guidance, added Mrs Carter. While there is no organisation responsible for collecting dead birds, any sightings of wildlife, dead or alive, can be sent to Worcestershire Biological Records Centre, recording on the county's database. A photo and location details can be submitted via worcesterswildlifetrust.co.uk oblique wildlife hyphen sightings. And the person who spotted the owl has reported it to the relevant authorities. The next article is from Wednesday's edition and features a photograph of the Paper Chase stationery shop on the High Street. Administrators called in to stall. A major retailer with a store in Worcester is on the hunt for new buyers. Paper Chase has confirmed it is speaking with potential buyers amid reports that the High Street retailer is lining up administrators. The stationery company confirmed that it has hired advisers from Begbie's Trainer Group, the firm handling the Worcester Warriors administration, and PwC to assess options for the future of the company. This announcement comes after Sky News reported that Begbie's trainer has been put on standby to handle a a potential insolvency. A spokesman for Paper Chase has said that all stores, including the branch on Worcester High Street, will continue to trade as normal for the time being. 
We confirm that we have retained BTG and PwC to advise Paperchase on strategic options, including the sale of the business as a going concern to new owners. Talks are continuing with a number of interested parties. All Paperchase stores and the website will continue to trade as normal during this period. We can't comment further on this process until discussions with interested parties have been concluded. A staff member at the Worcester branch added, We don't know anything at all. We were told a while ago they were searching for new buyers, but haven't heard anything since. It is understood the company could be bought through a pre-pack administration. However, Paperchase stressed it is still considering a solvent sale as a going concern and has had interest from a number of possible suitors. The potential sale comes only four months after the retailer was bought by retail veteran Steve Curtis, who has previously backed Jigsaw and Tyrac. Paperchase also previously fell into administration two years ago with the closure of 37 stores. Okay, this is, um, uh 350 years ago this month, Worcester folk were continuing to watch the river level carefully. They had just witnessed the great flood of Christmas 1672. In recent weeks, many have been doing the same. The 1672 flood would be beaten in 1770. The height of this flood would be marked using a brass plate due to its record-breaking water level. The plate was engraved on the November the 18th, 1770. The flood rose to the lower edge of the plate, being 10 inches higher than the flood which occurred on December 23rd, 1672. Flooding has affected Worcester for centuries, and a short length of wall next to the medieval water gate was chosen to mark large flood events. Apart from the 1770 brass plate, the others are carved into stone blocks and fitted into the wall after the water recedes. In more recent years, apprentice stonemasons from the cathedral have carved them to show their freshly learned skills. Before photography was even thought about, written records tell us how the flooding affected Worcester and the surrounding area. One record tells of a great flood during the War of the Roses, which halted an entire army in October 1484. The flood water itself was referred to as the Duke of Buckingham's water, after the Duke was prevented from getting to King Richard III and his army. Journalist, local historian and antiquarian John Noak also mentions another devastating flood that sounds worse than that of 1672 or 1770. November the 29th, 1620. In the River Severn was the greatest flood that ever was seen since the flood of Noah. There was drained at Holmston's load 68 persons as they were going to Bewdley Fair. When the River Severn returns within its banks, and when the fantastic City Council employees jet wash the silt and remove the debris left behind, do take a look at the flood markers. It shows large flood events that also took place in the summer months and even when the Severn was dredged on a regular basis. Discover History use these flood markers all the time, especially when we deliver the seven-storey walking tour a tour that focuses on the city and its once strong connection with the river. The 1811 flood followed a once-in-a-lifetime hailstorm. In the summer of 1847, another large storm filled the Severn very quickly, causing the Severn to burst the banks in just a few hours. 
This flood swamped many houses and businesses in the low-lying areas of Tybridge Street, Hilton Road, Key Street and Dolday. Further storms and floods appeared in the following years, with a loss of life and terrible devastation being recorded in the Barrow's Journal in 1886. In June 1924, the Three Counties show was held on Pitchcroft and resulted in thousands of pounds of damage following an extremely fast flood event. Barrows described the scene, motor vehicles and drays were chartered from all over the city to rescue prized cattle and sheep and valuable items of equipment. The biggest flood in living memory was the winter of 1947. Britain was already on its knees from the Second World War and austerity measures were affecting everyone. By February 1947, following conditions of minus 10 degrees, the temperatures rose and 15-foot snowdrifts thawed at great speed. Heavy rain also added to the water levels, which in turn cut St John's off from the rest of Worcester. During this time, tall horse-drawn farm wagons and military amphibious craft, as used in the Rhine crossings, were employed to ferry people across the bridge through cold, swirling flood water. New Road alone was under eight foot of water. A rail shuttle service was established between Fourgate Street Station and Hennick Holt, which helped join the two sides of the city as one. One lady was rescued by sliding from her roof on a carpet and into an awaiting rescue boat. Another person used a door as a punt and rescued himself. If you visit the flood markers in the shadow of Worcester Cathedral, look carefully at the dates and you will see how unpredictable floods are. They have happened all year round and we have to hope we are not erecting flood markers on a more regular basis. On Friday, January the 13th, we find the headline, No Festive Rest in Burglary Spree. Busy police have arrested 14 suspected burglars with some caught at the scene after the worst spate of shop break-ins for two decades. West Mercia police officers have made all the arrests since Christmas Day, detaining two suspects following a raid on Argus in Blackpool. Detective Inspector Dave Knight, an experienced detective based in Worcester Police Station in Castle Street, said he has never seen more arrests for commercial burglaries in such a short time during his 20 years as an officer. The cells at the station have been kept busy over Christmas and New Year, while the forensic teams have also been stretched, working really hard to get as much evidence as they can from a scene and bring suspected offenders to justice. D.I. Knight says the arrests are a measure both of swift reporting by the public and the speed of the response by West Mercia Police, who have a dedicated team to deal with precisely these sort of raids. Argos in Worcester was forced to close on Sunday, January the 8th, after laptops were stolen, then dumped as, police officers, as officers arrested a suspect and seized the electronic goods worth thousands. That raid came just two days after a break-in at Argos in Evesham, in the early hours of Friday, January the 6th. A burglary also took place at the co-op on the A46 Evesham bypass around 1am on January the 6th. 
Figures released by Worcestershire Proactive CID show there were 14 arrests for burglary, one suspect charged so far, and three detained for court or in prison on other matters. Eight suspects are on police bail, while police make further inquiries with two still in custody in the cells at Worcester Police Station. D.I. Knight said, Unusually, there have been fewer burglaries before Christmas across South Worcestershire, which includes Worcester, Malvern and Evesham, but a spate since Christmas Day. However, D.I. Knight believes the public quickly reporting suspicious activity helped disrupt the burglars, as officers acted quickly on that intelligence. He said, We rapidly deployed to incident reporting and crimes in progress such as burglaries. In the last week that has seen us arrest a number of individuals for burglary whilst they are believed to have been committing them, we have caught a number of suspected burglars who we believe were in the act or preparing to commit offences. The high number of arrests is reflective of the higher number of offences we have seen since Christmas Day. Since Christmas Day it has been an unprecedented period for us in the burglary team, which has seen officers working longer hours to gather evidence. I have been in the force for 20 years and in terms of arrests for burglary I have never seen it so busy. I believe as a result of the arrests we will see a significant impact on the number of offences of burglary. D.I. Knights said officers were keeping an open mind about whether some of those offences were committed by local people or others from outside the county. However, the team thinks some offences are being committed by local offenders and others by a group from outside Worcestershire. Work is now underway to bring charges against two suspects from Coventry. Efforts have been made by the team to identify patterns of offending quickly and respond effectively, says D.I. Knight. If we are contacted to say there is a crime in progress, it is generally easy for us to respond speedily, he said. He explained that patrols and local policing teams were involved in tackling burglary. In the event of a burglary in progress, the public is advised to dial 9. The next article refers to what I think is a a Polish gentleman's name. I apologise in advance if I mess it up. Cars keyed by vandals. Drivers are counting the costs after multiple cars were keyed on a residential road in St John's. Pavel Siska of Coma Road parked his car on the road overnight and woke up on Monday morning to find his and several other cars vandalised. Mr Siska said he reported the incident to West Mercia Police and is, quote, dreading to think about the cost to repair the damage. He said... The parking situation for residents on Coma Road is not at all good. 
so often parking on the adjoining side roads is a necessity. My daughter's boyfriend and I parked our cars on Lapal Close and awoke to find them vandalised, along with several others on both sides of the car. My daughter's boyfriend took his car to the garage today and was told the cost to repair it would be £270. I'm dreading to even think about what the cost will be to repair the damage to my car. Councillor Richard Udall, Worcester City and Worcestershire County Council, Councillor for St John's, said the issue is not uncommon for the area and said it could have been fuelled by alcohol. He said, I was not aware of this latest incident, but this is unfortunately not uncommon in this area of St John's. In several different adjacent roads, we have established mobile CCTV cameras to try and catch the culprits and to deter the problem. It's a clear menace in the area, which is very distressing for the residents involved. It's expensive to repair the damage and it is often repeated. The roads in question are the main desired routes back to St John's from the city centre. The incidents happen late at night and are often fuelled by alcohol. It shows a total lack of respect for others and is indicative of an extremely selfish and mindless personality. I will be speaking once again to the local police to see what measures we can take in partnership with the local community to try and prevent this behaviour from happening again. Clearly, I would also urge anyone with information or with their own CCTV footage to come forward and let us know. We have contacted West Mercia Police for more information. The next article is supported by a photograph um, of strikers forming a picket line outside Bromsgrove Ambulance Services. Support for picket line. Ambulance service workers formed a picket line to take part in another historic strike against pay. GMB Union ambulance workers joined thousands of NH staff across the country to participate in a nationwide strike. A picket line was formed outside Bromsgrove Ambulance Hub in Licky End after disputes over pay with about 10 staff waving banners and flags on Wednesday. Some people on the picket line were still making their way to Category, to category 1 and Category 2 incidents around South Worcestershire. This is the second strike the West, Ambulance, Mid, West Midlands Ambulance Service workers have taken part in over the last two months. Several cars, lorries and vans honked their horns to show solidarity with the strikers. However, not all people agreed with the strikes as two drivers drove past and yelled, Go back to work! Despite the strike, blue-lit ambulances were still leaving the ambulance hub. Paramedics, emergency care assistants, call handlers and other staff at West Midlands Ambulance Service are all amongst those on strike. Nobody on the picket line wished to comment when asked by a Worcester News reporter. Nathan Hudson, Emergency Services Operations Delivery Director, said in a statement, 
We have a productive discussion. We have had productive discussions with our staff side colleagues to agree that ambulances will respond to the most urgent calls, such as cardiac arrests, and where a crew requests immediate backup at the scene of a case, and other life-threatening cases, such as heart attacks, strokes, difficulties in breathing, and maternity cases. In addition, staff in our non-emergency patient transport service will continue to convey vulnerable groups such as patients undertaking renal dialysis, cancer treatments, palliative care and emergency scans within the strike period for time frame. Only call 999 if critically unwell or there is risk to life. Ambulances will be dispatched where clinically appropriate. Workers are asking for their pay to be in line with inflation amid the cost of living crisis. Paramedics, emergency care assistants, call handlers and other staff previously organised a walkout on December the 21st and 28th. Ambulance staff will be striking again on Monday, January the 23rd. And nurses from the Royal College of Nursing will be striking on Wednesday, January the 18th and Thursday, January the 19th. So now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thanks to Moira, Richard, Penny and Alex for reading and recording and to Carol Hartle for leading that vital admin work. We hope you've enjoyed this listening and that you will be back for more next time. So it's best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, so we're now going to read the obituaries. So Stuart John Essex Potter passed away suddenly on 29th of December 2022, aged 67 years. The funeral service and cremation will take place at York Crematorium on Thursday the 26th of January at 1 o'clock. Family flowers only by request. Roger Small, suddenly on 26th of December 2022. Resting at Worcester Funeral Care until the service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 10th of February at 2.30pm. Family flowers only. Betty Watkins passed away peacefully on 4th of January 2023, aged 96 years. Resting at Worcester Funeral Care until the service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday 25th of January at 1.45pm. Family flowers only by request. Richard Frederick Underwood of Underwood Steel and Worcester King School passed away in hospital after a long illness bravely born. On the 20th of December 2022 aged 62 years. A service of celebration and thanksgiving has taken place at Worcester Cathedral on Friday the 20th of January at 2pm. Donations if desired for Bowel Cancer UK. Winifred Emily Spittle, née Ballinger of Worcester passed away peacefully in hospital on the 28th of December 2022, aged 88 years. The funeral service 
at Worcester Crematorium is on Tuesday the 24th of January at 1.45. Family flowers only, please. And Paul Lazenby passed away peacefully on the 3rd of January 2023, aged 63. The funeral service will be held at St George's Catholic Church, Worcester, at 12 o'clock on the 1st of February 2023. No flowers. Donations to be made to St Richard's Hospice, Worcester. John Beamand sadly passed away on January the 3rd, 2023, aged 90 years. Service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on 10th of February at 11.30. Family flowers only. Susan Jean Higgins, Sue. Loving mum, mother-in-law and nanny passed away suddenly, aged 78, on the 26th of December. Funeral service to be held at St Michael's and All Angels, Martin Hussingtree, 24th of January at 10.30am. Robert James Owens, Nobby, aged 62 years of Ombersley, Worcester and Martley, sadly passed away on the 31st of December 2022. Funeral to be held on Friday the 27th of January 2023 at Worcester Crematorium at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, please. Layla Mary Taylor, nay Perry, passed away peacefully at Stanfield Nursing Home on the 14th of January 2023, aged 89 years. The family wished to thank all who cared for Layla so well over the last few years. Burial to be at St Thomas's Church, Crown East, date to be announced. Colin Eugene Clee of Himbleton Road, former Worcester News compositor, fell asleep on the 23rd of December 2022 at the Lawns, aged 88 years. Funeral service to take place at Astwood Crematorium, Worcester, on Friday 20th of January 2023 at 2.30pm. Immediate family flowers only, please. William Bruce Hodgkins passed away peacefully, surrounded by his family, on December 31st, 2022, aged 91 years. Funeral to be held at Whittington Church on Friday, January 27th at 11am. Family flowers only, please. James John Pulley, ex-telecom engineer, passed away peacefully on the 1st of January 2023, aged 79 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, 23rd of January at 10am. Family flowers only, please. 